Once again, thank you, Leslie and Paul. And uh, welcome to the rest of you on a, another summer day. I remember how cold it was this winter. and <laughs> It's different. <laughs> it's different right now. That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. Well, let's uh, get right after it. Let's go to our Bibles this morning, and uh, we'll turn to the to the uh, the book of Acts, Acts chapter nine. We find ourselves again today. Um, I would like to read actually the entire account from verse one through verse thirty-one. We covered some of that material, the first part of it, and this is the conversion of Paul. Uh, fire, or, uh, Paul would have been that guy that, uh, if you can imagine, who would be the least likely to become a Christian? Who would be the one that's like a fire-breathing dragon against Christians? That man would have been Saul. He was crazy, crazy aggressive. He was as aggressive as you could possibly make anyone. I can't even actually literally think of someone today. I was trying to think of a modern-day Saul. Um, He was one of a kind. I mean, this guy woke up in the morning, ate breakfast, and took off to create havoc and destruction in the Christian community, okay? Um, now, there, there are those around the world today that are really, I think of even the, the Muslims, quite honestly, hate Christianity so badly. It's amazing. Uh, unfortunately, they are just as blind as Paul. Paul was very, very blind. Uh, Muslims today, they, they worship a God that is able to, are you ready, that can change, Allah, their God, is able to change. That is one of the most horrifying things I could possibly imagine. Those people that would have, in faith, their own faith, uh, and faith is, uh, I'm going to just leave it for there right now, but do Muslims experience faith? Absolutely. Absolutely. And their faith on that day at 911, to literally have flown, given their lives into into buildings to kill other Christians... And to worship a God that can change his mind. Abrogate is the word that's used. Now think of that for a moment. You're staking your entire life, your entire eternity, on a God that in your own belief that he can change his mind. I can't deal with that. Because he could just as well say, you know what, I, that, was, that was good for me then, but not now. You guys are gone. I don't want you around anymore. Our God says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I say, that's the God that I can trust. That's the God I can learn, that I can lean on. Uh, Paul's God was, was interesting. He thought he was following God. He really did. He believed sincerely that he was following God, but he was sincerely wrong. His picture of God was very tainted. He was worshiping himself, honestly. That's what, that, that is, there's two gods in this world. You have the Lord God, the God of heaven, Yahweh, Jehovah, or you have yourself. It's literally that simple. Now, there are religions, religions that are literally chasing after and pursuing righteousness through the sense of deeds or self-worth. You are muscling, not pulling yourself up by your bootstraps to become everything that you think it takes to be good. That's yourself. You're worshiping yourself. So let's watch Paul's conversion. This is the most magnificent conversion in the entire Word of God, I believe. Uh, Acts chapter 9, we'll begin now at verse 1. Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest. I have to stop for just a second. I won't do this again for the, our reading, but that word breathing, how many of you have thought how much and how hard it is to breathe this morning? I mean, you got up and you said, whew. Well, I'm going to have to keep track of my breaths. I've got to have so many per minute. I've got to keep track of how to breathe. I don't even remember if I, if I don't take care of breathing, I, it's not going to work out for me. Well, you're right, but it's so natural. It's so, it, it just occurs. 
Now think of that in the same light of Paul, of Saul. I got to use his right name. He's Saul right now. He breathed destruction against Christians. It was his life. It was who he was. It was just natural. Let's keep going. And the desire of him, letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus. Suddenly were shined round about him a light from heaven. He fell to the earth, heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembled and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? The Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. The men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, and they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, neither did eat nor drink. There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. The Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth, and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all they call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I, must, I will show him how, much, how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way that thou camest, hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, and arose and was baptized." When he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on his, this name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent, that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ." And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But their laying await was known of, Paul, of Saul. And they, waited, they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down in the, by the wall in a basket. When Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. He was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him. Which, when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walked in, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost rather, were multiplied. May God add a special blessing to the reading of his word. And let's just pause for prayer prior to our study. Father, once again, it's such a privilege and honor to be here, to be able to study the word of God. Thank you, Father, for this account, this historical event, Father, where the man Saul, who lived 
with so much zeal and so much anger and hatred towards Christians that literally on this day, this like any other day on a road going to a town, a city that literally, Father, he was going to bind, to arrest, and to drag back to Jerusalem all of those that trusted Christ as Savior. Father, on that day, his heart, his mind, he was transformed from the inside out. He became a new creature, as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Watching this transformation, Father, is truly amazing. A man that literally later wrote 13 epistles, 13 letters that we hold within the Holy Bible. They are because of this man, a man that he ran smack into Jesus Christ, the one that he was trying to squash and to eliminate from lives of those that trusted him. Father, you are truly awesome. You are sovereign. You are above even anything that we can imagine in the sense of powerfulness. But Father, that same power that was given to Paul as he yielded to the Holy Spirit is available to us as well. Father, may we see you more clearly as a result of these moments we spend with you. But now take us and use us in ways that may even seem mysterious to us. But Father, it will be for your glory and for our blessing. Now may the Holy Spirit guide us exclusively. May the teaching come from him. May we yearn for further knowledge and understanding of what you have for us today. Bathe us, keep us in your word through the Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. We talked about it last week, a, a sense of transformation. Um, there's a lot of things that externally can happen to us or someone would perceive that their lives have been transformed because of something that's happened to them. Some makeover, something that, that, they've, that, that has changed. But this is not something we're talking about. We're talking about a radical transformation, something that is truly, truly cannot be duplicated, cannot be done, cannot be done by any human hands. It's totally a God thing. Um, maybe just to review it for a moment. Uh, let me, let's throw the map up of Israel. We'll kind of walk through where, where he was at, where Mr. Saul was. He was engaged in a journey. He was tiring in the sense of he had canvassed Jerusalem. He had canvassed the areas of which. Now, this is where the church began. This is what's all about Acts. Uh, just to really step back for a moment. Uh, if you were to take the book of Acts and take it out, remove it from your Bible, and you'd read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then you'd pop right into Romans, you would be so lost. It would be so crazy. How did we go there? How did we get there? Acts is a, an historical events that are packaged to allow us to see literally how the church began. Uh, Jerusalem was the place that it happened. Um, where else, how else would God call that shot, right? The Jerusalem, that's the place that if we were to put up the temple, you don't need to do that. Just hold it. But Jerusalem was the place that literally Jesus Christ was crucified. Uh, which would have been a probably two months prior to the event of the church unfolding on being packaged, shall we say, and God says, that's my next play. And it's in the very town that his son, Jesus Christ, was crucified. I would maybe pick another part of the world personally. Let's go somewhere else, but that's how God works. He right in the midst of the enemy territory, and then it even gets better, where the proselytizing or the sense of Christians coming to a further sense of growth happens in where? The temple, of which, which is the place that the Judaizers are fully in control. The court of the Gentiles, which had been in the, exter the exterior part of this 40-acre massive temple area, was where the Christians were multiplying and being added to daily, it tells us. 
Well, Paul is uh, probably, I keep calling him Paul. Forgive me for that. I'll say that because I want him to be a Paul and not a Saul. As Saul, he is one wild dude. That is just crazy about Christians and destroying them. But Jerusalem, is he probably had canvassed that. He had probably done as much damage as you could do. Now, as and I, the best illustration I can actually still use an analogy for me, as he's running around stamping out Christians, it's just like if you're in a fire and you start stamping, those sparks fly. Persecution in that, that's really what they were doing. They were, they were just meeting out persecution to the Christian community. But the more that they would stamp, the more they tried to eliminate it. I think of people today that are trying to get rid of the Bible. They have tried literally for decades, not decades, centuries and centuries to get rid of the Bible. I will tell them they're wasting their time. What God said, he said, the word of God will never depart. It will never be going away. It will last forever. So they are wasting their time. And the more they stamp, the more angry they become. Guess what? The further it reaches, the further it goes. And as a result of that, the Christianity just exploded we found in a, in a previous study that in Samaria, that man by the name of Philip would have been dealing with a couple of individuals there. It was going. But now Paul here, Saul, sorry, I'll, I'm going to keep doing that. And, and please forgive me. Uh, he's going to take a trip. He's going to go to what he's heard of a hot spot for Christianity in a city that's north of them. So he's getting some letters from the, from the religious leaders in, in Jerusalem, and he takes off for, if you go, you see Caesarea Philippi, and then you go a little bit further north, and there's that way up there that I can't reach. It's called Damascus. Now, none of you have been to Damascus, I don't think, right? Anybody? Probably not. But if you were to go there, it was a rather large city. It's thought to have probably 150,000 inhabitants at that time. Uh, a very large uh, community of Jews, but also Christianity had really started to explode. So he's on his way, going to the road to Damascus to literally to arrest, to destroy, and to cause havoc and destruction within the Christian community. He's going to stamp this out some more. Well, that's what we read of in chapter 9. He's on his way, and he runs smack dab into none other than Jesus Christ. Boom! I mean, drop the hammer. Have you ever had a meeting with Jesus? We use that almost a little bit. We need to have a meeting with Jesus. He had a meeting with Jesus, and it totally, totally changed him, literally instantaneously. That faith was, was re, uh, shall we say, redirected. It was no longer on Saul. It became to the one that literally just stopped him in his tracks. And I'm talking a bright light. Now, as we spoke of last week, in the Middle East, the sun at noon has to be pretty powerful. The last several days in, you know, in our world, it's been pretty warm. If you're in Arizona, you're getting used to 115 to 119 degrees in Phoenix if you're there. Very, very warm. And that sunlight, they say in the asphalt on like the tarmac on the, on, on the runways right now, in the midst of the day, it's literally 140 degrees. Okay? Um, but take that for a moment. The Middle East heat from that sun would be pretty overpowering. I mean, really powering. And in the middle of the day, boom, Jesus basically makes that look like a really bad flashlight. He is blinded by it. That's how bright it is. It's overpowering. It's amazing. And he gets the message, who are you? <laughs> I want to know who you are. What, have, what would have that been like to have received that message? Uh, Saul... I'm Jesus. Uh-oh. <laughs> I kind of believe he's got to say that, right? Because this is what he's been trying to get rid of is Jesus and all of those that believe in him. But by, you know, in just seconds, he says, Lord, what would you have me to do? 
boom, that's conversion. That's a confrontation that literally changed this man's life completely from the inside. This isn't a, let's go to a seminar and see how to make ourselves look better, to be better. No, 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 no. This starts on the inside. This is truly what a meeting of Christ is. If you do not know Jesus Christ personally, that meeting you need to have. Now, Paul, Saul's was a little bit more abrupt because he was bringing a game. He was bringing a game against the very one that he thought that he was doing it for. And there's a lot of very sincere people today. Mark, make, make that very clear today. Sincerity does not save you. Let me say that again. Sincerity does not save you. He was sincerely wrong. There's a lot of people today that are trusting in things that are not as strong as it needs to be. Uh, faith is only as valid as the object in which it's placed or the validity of that object. I, I, I keep saying this because it fits the model so well. There are people today that are actually trusting in their own faith. Faith in faith, if you will, to be able to get through this. Uh, very, that, that, that's just too little. It's not enough. It's not enough. I still remember having that conversation with a, a gentleman that had moved up to this area from California. And he, was, uh, he was, had some cancer in his life. And, you know, we were just visiting. And he said, well, I just have to have faith. Doesn't that sound good? Have you heard that before? Just have to have faith. Sounds great. Is he, was he sincere? Absolutely he was sincere. There's no question about it. But I, I pushed and I said, faith in what? Well, I just have to have faith. Now, knowing me, I didn't let it go. I got to play a little further, right? I said, well, faith in what? Well, we, Larry, we just have to have faith. So now it's like you just exaggerate the point by we just got to have faith. And of course, not to let a <laughs> bone alone, Faith in what? And now he's frazzled. In fact, I don't know if he thought about it. Because it sounds, it's so trite, isn't it? You just have to have faith. Well, you guys are all experiencing faith right now. You're sitting in a chair that you didn't check out. I doubt that any one of you would have taken this chair and tipped it over, tipped it up and said, let's see, what's the capacity here? Um, you didn't do that, did you? In fact, you engaged in faith because, now you could say why. Well, I saw Paul sit down and it didn't collapse. So I went ahead and sat down. Sorry. <laughs> but you experienced faith by acting on for whatever reason. But just to have faith is only as strong as the object in which it's placed. Saul's faith was in himself and his zeal. There are a lot of people that are so excited, and I'm using that word, this might be not the right word, but um, they are just driven by religion. They are driven to excellency and trying to do everything they can do to look better. And as long as they look better than Joe or Jill or whomever, then I'm in great shape. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's a problem. All. That's pretty straight away. And then the real kicker, uh, you all have, have worked, probably had a job, and at the end of that pay period or that pay week, Boom, you get something called a check for wages. Those are your wages. You've earned that. That's what you've worked for. Um, it seems to be a concept we're still working with our younger generation of understanding that, that there is work before the paycheck is required. We're still working on that concept. And I'll tell you what, and just as a, as a bit of a step aside, uh, one of the things that seems to be tied together from my perspective is where we are generationally right now. As if, if, you, if you have a business, if you're working in a business, it is extraordinarily difficult to get enough workers. 
that will show up that care that are involved in the system, right? And everybody's not, and it's universal. I can call actually internationally, and it's, it's literally worldwide. And I really think part of that is the detachment of truth from lives of people. Where is the basis for truth? Well, most people think they can just make it up. I can have my own truth. Paul's got his truth. Pete's got his truth. Leslie's got her truth. As long as you got your truth, it's your truth, we're good. No, that is a falsehood. That's a big fat lie. Within truth, where does it come from? My belief is it has to come strictly and solely from the Word of God. And the truth hurts some days, right? It does. I mean, you show me my sin, you, 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 that searchlight of the Scriptures shines on my life. Woo! That is sin. I've got to deal with that. Now, does that make it simple and easy? Of course it doesn't. But truth is literally the healing power of what our nation needs, of what our world needs, and what we need individually. And it's above tradition. Make no mistake. Paul was literally working on, on uh, traditions of Pharisees, Judaism. There are religions today that tradition has higher emphasis than the Word of God. That's one that you have to take a step back and you have to say, am I going to believe traditions of men as being more important? Is that like having faith in faith? Or am I really literally going to go and say, what does the Word of God say? What does the Scripture say? That to me is how my life must be lived because I want to be engaged in the whole, nothing but the truth way of looking at it. But today we're just, want, isn't it, it's amazing, isn't it? And, there's some, and there, are there are young people that have been, that literally have been, Growing up in a family of which the Word of God, or at least the, the sense of truth, has been pounded in from the sense of its stableness. Okay, those families are able to see through that. But how many people do you see just wandering? I'm not talking about homelessness, but you know what? Without the faith in God, you are homeless. You have nothing. There's nothing short of truth that's part of your life. Saul was that man. He was sincerely, he was sincere about everything, and he was sincerely wrong. Headed straight to destruction. Straight to destruction. Well, as he's going to Damascus, just to get a sense of his, of his, of his sense of zeal, that's not just across the street. Now, some of you probably didn't start all that far from home this morning to get here, okay? Uh, the chances are that it was less than 160 miles. That's what you would have found that trip to go. It would have been about six days to get from Jerusalem to Damascus in a caravan and just using historical records as being that basis. Um, so he's on, his, he's on his mission. He gets to Damascus. And he, oh, he doesn't make it. But when he does get short, close to Damascus, boom, he hits Jesus. Jesus nails him. I mean, literally just drops him to his knees, and we have a meeting of Jesus. His life has changed. Um, and you'll see that the sense of this transformation was engaged in his faith. His, now his faith is placed in a Savior. It's placed in a Savior, not in self, but in a Savior. That is where it must begin. It must begin right there. The fact that we are a sinner, that we have lost our way, we have no way to save ourselves, and our Savior, Jesus Christ, is the only way for us to move on. Now, he's trading masters. We have a brand new master. He's got a new master. He's got a new life. When he, before he got to Damascus, his master was himself, which is literally a gift from Satan. Really, it is, right? I mean, self or Satan. It's all the same. You say, whoa, wait a minute. No, it's absolutely the, it's right. Because let's go back to the Garden of Eden, right? Okay, here's Adam and Eve, and they're walking with God in the afternoon, like fellowship hour. I mean, having a nice tea with God going through the, they didn't even need iced tea, did they? It was so good. They didn't need anything. It was just like in the presence. You can just feel the goodness of that 
right? It's unbelievable. And then Satan comes and says, did God really say that you couldn't eat of the tree of the garden? Did he, re did he really try to hold that back from you? How good is God really to you? Isn't it? Same methods today. Behind every sin that you commit is the fact that you were held out on and you deserve better. Every single one of them. You mark it. You can write it down. You can unpack it. You will find you were not satisfied because somewhere you were being left out. It's correct. So what do they trade for that day? They traded walks with God with self. Ah, and here we are, all of those years later, probably 7,000 years later, and he's still selling the same bag of tricks. Self, self. You need a savior. If you don't have Jesus Christ today, if you have not trusted him as savior, that's where you have to start. Nothing else in this world matters. Nothing, nothing else matters. You can be busy. You can be doing everything. You can have fun. You can go recreate. You can be in. The, and this is probably the one of the most beautiful places on the planet right here. We are blessed to be able to live here. You're talking to a guy that started in North Dakota. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, specifically, I was from Tuttle, North Dakota, which is nine miles from nowhere. I better be careful. I have, there's probably people from North Dakota listening to me right now. <laughs> and you know what? They're just as saved there if they've trusted Christ as I am here. But I'll tell you what, I feel blessed to be able to live right here. I mean, talk about engaging in God's creation. Isn't it amazing? No wonder so many people are trying to get here. I wish they wouldn't find us right now. <laughs> move on, move on, move on, move on. Have you seen the traffic any worse? It's crazy. We move machinery at night because it's probably the safest thing to do. And I can't even believe the traffic at night, in the middle of the night. It's crazy. Because people want to be in places like this. But there's no better place. There's no, even there is no other place to be but in Jesus Christ. If you're without him today, don't let this day get away from you. Don't let midnight crack and spell its end of this day without you have been in Jesus Christ. Don't let that happen. Because you need a Savior. Saul needed a Savior. Saul got saved that day. There's some things that are happening now. We think of transformation, and part of it is, is instantaneous. Now, let's, mark, let's, let's take care of this theologically. This is very, very important. As he placed his faith in Jesus Christ on that day, on the road to Damascus, everything changed. He's got a new master. It's God. It's no longer himself. Okay? Sin no longer owns him. He's no longer under the penalty of sin. There are two sides of sin that we sometimes, we kind of blurs as such. But when you trust Jesus Christ as Savior, the penalty of sin is broken. Your bill, if you were to write a bill out, uh, Larry Melhoff, on, on his account, he is a sinner. And he owes all of this stuff. And at the end, it, what's due is death. That's what the scripture says. The wages of sin. Oh, I didn't, I didn't finish my story on wages. I, did you notice Larry was off in that bunny trail running around? We were talking about young people and you went on work ethic, all blah, 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 right? All that stuff. But here, here's the bottom line. When, you, when you've cashed in your life, and if you're without Jesus Christ, if you've done it your way, you've done it your way, you've done it my way, literally at the end, your check for your wages is death. That's not what we hope for. And there's no way you can pay for it. The only one that could pay for it was the one that hung on a cross outside of Jerusalem with his arms spread with love beyond belief. Every drop of blood that was shed 
was for you and for me. There was enough for every single person. That's, that is a plan of salvation that I couldn't have come up with. Couldn't have come up with it. When you receive that by faith, I trust Jesus Christ as my Savior for my sin. Guess what happens to Larry's bill? At the bottom of this bill, it says, paid in full. Now, I love bills that come into my mailbox that says that. Paid in full. I've got a few of them that don't say that. And so do you guys. Because that's how it works, right? That's how it works. Our world is. But that's what I want. It, and it's paid in full. Now, it, it's even better than that. The penalty of sin has been paid. Okay? That's fantastic. But positionally, you also have life. You have been given eternal life. Now, sometimes when we think of eternal life, it's just a sense of quantity. Right? Remember that rich young ruler that came to Jesus Christ? And things are working his way. I mean, things are rolling for him. It's fantastic. Life is good. He's rich. He's young. He's got everything he wants. You know, he comes to Jesus. He said, how can I get eternal life? In other words, he wants the same stuff, just longer. Okay? (laughs) That's not what Jesus is talking about. That's not what God is talking about when he says, life everlasting. It's a sense of quality. It's literally that, that, yes, it's a sense of quantity. Sure. But it's not what we know. It's something that you couldn't even possibly know the quality of. That literally you are in a place where God is, where Jesus Christ, the one I, and I want, I don't know who I'm going to hug first in heaven. I don't know who it is, but I'm going to guarantee you somewhere I want to, I want to get to my savior. I want to get right to him. And if it's like Stephen, remember Stephen, the martyr, we've talked about him a couple of weeks, month, well, weeks ago, I guess. Um, it literally, he saw Jesus Christ not sitting at the hand, at the right hand of God. He was at, he was standing. It was like in open arms, he's getting ready to receive his servant, Stephen. I want to see my Jesus. I want to see those nail prints that are in his hands that he's going to wear for all of eternity for me. He did it for me. That's why I can stand paid in full. But here's the one we miss. See, transformation is also gradual. This is important. I don't know. This stuff isn't even in my notes. We're just going where the Spirit calls it because that's what we're asking to do, right? That's why we pray what we pray. So this is really, really important because part of this package, when you accept Jesus Christ by faith, instantaneously things are taking place positionally your bill is paid in full for the penalty of sin it's paid positionally you are right with god no more disconnect there's no more warring no enmity you were literally on the same page as god you have peace with god wow you have a package deal there's something else that happens the same instant the holy spirit takes residence he indwells you at that split second. Now, I don't know if you know how big a deal that is. That's monstrous. Because Paul not only got a new master and a new life, he did get a new mission as well. You talk about changed directions. He, he's from beating up Christians to encouraging them and getting more on board, right? Talk about a new mission. And if you're in Jesus Christ, your direction internally changes immediately. But the other thing that happens is you have new power new power. That power can only come from the Holy Spirit that now lives within you. How do you access that power? That's what really we need to be concerned about. How do we get the power that is promised to those that literally have trusted Christ as Savior? You yield to Him. Transformation is not only instantaneous in the sense of position, but it also can be a long period of time. In other words, some of you would say, 
And, and the, the, the term that's used in, in Christianity is sanctification. Okay? There's justification. That's another, another word, a ten, $10 word that really means this. This is exactly what it means. When I trust Christ, boom, I am fixed for eternity. I'm, I'm paid. My bill is paid. And I didn't have anything to do with it except trusted the one that paid it. Okay? But the other part of this is, is not only positionally, but the sense of character-wise. That transformation takes time. Now, if you, let's just say uh, some of us, if you really thought you've changed a lot, I'm gonna, it's okay, Paul, you're in the front row, so I pick on you a lot. But, so have, have, would anybody say that Paul has changed? Um, just really generic, just generic, yeah. I mean, but no, that, that, that's a good question. Look in the mirror, look at the, the picture is above my sink every morning. But did you, now, now did, you, did you see what he did? He qualified that, didn't he? He qualified it. What did he qualify with? Now, let's just say, let's just say that tomorrow morning, Paul get, looks in the mirror. Does, has he changed? And you're saying, well, Larry, you have to give me more information, right? <laughs> Change from what? Right? Right? But can, from, from tomorrow, let's see, did you look at yourself today in the mirror? Don't answer the question. Uh, but if, you, if he looks in his mirror this morning, and he looks in tomorrow morning, what would he say? Other than maybe need comb my hair or, you know, wash up a little bit. Really haven't changed. Right? See, that's how it is in the day-to-day sense of sanctification. The process seems so incredibly slow. In fact, we would even say to ourselves, in fact, I have a young man I'm actually mentoring with right now. And he feels... Larry, I just, I, I just, I can't, I'm not getting better. I, I'm, I'm just like, right? There's frustration in that. And from day to day, looking in a mirror without any sense of objectivity, without anything relative. To, but you see, Paul said, if I have a picture, let's say you took your eighth grade picture and you put it at the top of the mirror. Did Paul change? You better believe he changed. And it was one day at a time, wasn't it? One day at a time. We've all gotten older. I think of uh, Lisa and I, we will celebrate our 40th wedding anniversary. And she ha- in, our, in, in our ranch house, in the, the office here, we call it the office now, there's a, there is a, an announcement that we would have sent out for our wedding invitations, right? You know, I couldn't believe it, but we look a little bit different. <laughs> we actually look young. There's not a lot. I had more hair. Not quite a much of me. So it's interesting, but if I was going to gauge the change in any sense of that direction, you don't see it. You don't see getting old until you have something to gauge it by. It's just the same as the gauge that you have in the sense of becoming more Christ-like. Now, that's why you're saved. You are saved unto good works. You will never save yourself by good works. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. You need to write that down. You need to study that yourself. You were saved unto good works. Because of the sense you've become Jesus Christ's property, because you have a new master, you have a new mission, you have a new life, that's what makes works valuable. Not to get to new life. You, it's impossible. You cannot do that. I hope I'm animated enough for that. You're wasting your time. Nothing wrong with good works. But if they're not because of what you're based in Christ, it's worthless, worthless, worthless. But that change, that transformation that's day-to-day, moment-by-moment sometimes. And we, you know, we launch back, and we shouldn't have said that, and, you know, all of that. And you sometimes are discouraged by that. This young, I want to come back to this young man, who I'll, na- na- obviously, for obvious reasons, leave him nameless. But one of the things I said, it's interesting, 
for you to say, ah, it's just like I can't stop. I just, I, I just, right? And you, there's frustration there, isn't it? Because you would like to be saved and boom, you are brand new and you are flawless. Wouldn't that be great? No. Someone that, got, that had a bad temper and got saved is someone that's saved that has a bad temper. Right? And that's the way it is, right? And it takes time. It's just it's step by step by step by step. But God, let's, we have to look at this one. Just popped in my head. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Philippians 1, 6. Because it's sometimes we, we don't even believe that God is doing anything. Now, what happens if we don't believe God? That's called sin. And if you're sinning, you're not being filled with the Spirit. Uh, trust me on that one. You're either sinning or you're yielding to the Spirit. Not at the same time. So let's go. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Look at this. He says this very beginning. Oh, by the way, was Paul engaging in a vacation as he wrote Philippians? He was kind of like taking his pen and his paper, and he's relaxing in a beach chair down in the Caribbean somewhere. Guess what? He was literally in prison writing a book about, now if you were going to take Philippians, I threw that on the board, and you would, I want one word to describe Philippians. One, just one word to describe the message, the content of Philippians. The right answer would be joy. Written by a man that's in prison. Now, I don't know if you spent time in prison. I have not. I don't get an idea that I would be joyful in prison, initially at least. And anyone that has would have to probably agree with me. But Paul saw it as nothing more than an opportunity for him to be at the right place, at the right time, doing the right thing. And if that's in prison, that's okay. This is what he writes in verse 6. <clears throat> Being confident of this very thing. You can put your hand, you can, you can mark this, that he... God, which hath begun a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. See, that's what I say when people say, you know, you've got to grow up somewhere. You're right. That's not a problem. I get it. Because God is just working on something. You know, now sometimes he can kind of mold us. And I want to be that guy. I want to be that softness to when I'm yielding the Holy Spirit. That Literally, he can just mold me, right? That would be great. But I got some stuff that's kind of hard. And he's got to take out his hammer. Let's see, I'm going to need a big chisel for it. Where's that Larry chisel at? There it is. And it's about that wide, right? And he says, we're going to have to start. Let's chop this. Let's kind of knock this off. Because the Holy Spirit does two things with your life. One is to refine the good qualities you have. Uh, and some of you have some great qualities. These are things that are part of your DNA. Uh, some of you are leaders, just natural leaders. And you know what I'm talking about. If you run into someone that's a natural leader, they don't have to be a Christian to be a leader, right? They have great abilities. But aside without having Jesus Christ, it's going in the wrong direction. They may be very disciplined, very focused, very persistent. Those are all good qualities that God, will, the Holy Spirit will refine. Now, in Paul's case, there was stuff he had to get rid of. Literally, it took a chisel because this guy was hardcore, wasn't he? You appreciated his zeal. You appreciated his steadfastness. You appreciated his persistence. But he hated people. There's no place for hatred in a Christian life. There isn't. And it took a big chisel, and, he, and God was working that off. But see, the really cool thing is when the Holy Spirit works in you as he's refining and replacing, do you know, if we were going to rehearse what are the fruits of the Spirit, God uses those to replace the nasties, the hatred, the anger, the bitterness, all of those things that make you that not that person that you even like. 
Honestly, if you're in the quietness of your heart, in the middle of the night, in the dark, there are things about you that you have to be honest. You know, I really don't like that part of me. Now, the really cool thing is we've talked about the penalty of sin, but we didn't talk about the power of sin. I've been doing this. I've actually been doing this, literally will say it out loud. And all of you have a sin or sins that you're more likely to commit. It's part of yourself, your persona, the lusting after the flesh, it's called. The old nature. And even if you're in Jesus Christ, there's still things that you have a bent to do. Whatever that might be. Now, you can fill in the blank yourself. It doesn't matter. But it's for our benefit to know that not only did the Holy Spirit indwell us, and Jesus Christ paid for the penalty, also broke the power of sin. And we gloss over that. It sounds great. We have this new power. We have the power to break sin. But literally, it's when you're engaged in battle. And I have those same things. I have those sins that I'm more, more easily led to go into. And I, I better be careful I say led, that I literally myself, that's what lust is. You know, Satan, he'll, he'll throw a hook in the river or the lake, and he's got allure, but the only reason I'm going to that is because I want to. You know, you take a trout. Oh, that looks like a hook. No, I'm disinterested. No, why do they go to the lure? Because it looks like food. It looks like fun. It looks like the thing to get. That's what sin is, literally. You know what? I have to take, let's go to our Bibles and let's go to uh, Romans chapter 6. And I literally say this out loud now. During, and you can feel it coming on. You know, you're, whatever it might be. I mean, you can fill a blank in it. It doesn't matter. Um, now, one, we talked about Paul or Saul. Here we go again. Saul has a new master. Who is his old master? Self or Satan. Now, you can just do whatever you want to do. Okay? But you were also a slave. You were a slave. This master, that's why I want to use that word master today, that you were a slave to something. And you are a slave before Jesus Christ would have entered your life that you gave yourself to in faith in the Savior. You were a slave to sin. You couldn't not stop sinning. Now, that's the funny part for me is, is if, you, if you're telling someone about the beauty of Jesus Christ and he will save you from sin, one of the things that is such a lie that's so entrenched, it's so entrenched from society, is the fact that, wait a minute, if I trust Christ, if I trust Jesus, that means I'm going to have to give up the things I love. No, 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 stop, stop for a moment. You can't stop doing that stuff. It owns you. You are a slave to it. Revelation. But here's the deal. When you trust Christ as Savior, not only is the penalty, but the power is broken. Um, Romans chapter 6, and let's just start verse 17. Actually, we should do that. Let's start in verse 15. This is a great passage. Verse 15, Romans chapter 6. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. In other words, there are people today that, okay... Jesus Christ paid my sin. Boom, I am I'm covered. Positionally, I'm right with God. So if I sinned and it's paid, then I can just keep on sinning. Ooh, you guys, some of you, yeah, I see a, That's right, that's what he said, God forbid. No, no, our picture of sin is wrong. No longer are we, do we have to sin. See, there's people that are apart from Jesus Christ. They couldn't stop sinning if they wanted to. Right? In fact, they don't even see sin for what it is. It's just like Saul being blinded to sin. There are people today that have no idea even what sin looks like. To them, it's just engaging in life. Okay? But it's sin that does, causes the death. 
But we are slaves to sin. When you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, guess what happens? You have a new master, and it is no longer sin. You are no longer a slave to sin. So that's what I want to tell myself, because this is what self, when, when I just myself, and it's easy to become discouraged in your walk. And some of you are, yeah, that's right. And it is. Who's at work there? Self, right? So I'm walking along life, and like Chuck Swindoll said, he said, three steps forward, two steps back. Three steps forward, two steps back. What you want to do in those backward steps is I want to pull out that verse. Let's look at verse 22. Verse 22 of, of Romans chapter 6. And it says, But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. I literally say out loud. This, this may sound weird, but I'm saying out loud. I am not a slave to sin because of what Jesus Christ did. When that sin is approaching me, when I feel encroached and literally trespassed on by those outside yearnings or lustings, when I remind myself, I am not a slave to sin. I don't have to sin because Jesus Christ paid my penalty and the Holy Spirit is indwelling me. Literally, when I reach in for the power and yield to him, I don't have to do that anymore. That is amazing. And that's transformation a little bit at a time. And guess who wins? Jesus Christ does. God does. Ultimately, you get stronger. And it's amazing. The further you weigh that you get away from a bad habit, whatever it is that's causing you to sin, the less you do it. Something like somebody said, they got two dogs are exactly the same size. And someone, well, which one's going to get bigger? One you feed <laughs> the most, right? It's not hard. Are you yielding to sin? Or are you yielding to the Holy Spirit? Now, we're still, I, I kind of, if I was God, which thankfully I'm not, I'm, I'm, you're all, and you're good with that, I would have just went ahead, you know, trust Christ and you become perfect. Right away, boom! I would have voted for that. But if you think through that, and I'm not saying I'm right exactly, but if we were made, and in heaven we will be made instantaneously in a glorified body, and everything about sin, all of its challenges, all of its deathly, dirty, rotten ending results, all of that's gone forever. We are made perfectly whole, holiness and righteousness. But we're going to be looking at the reason for that. And I'm just afraid just how we're built. Because behind every sin is pride. You can go home and study it all you want. Behind every single sin is pride. It's there. That's how Satan fell off. He, he's actually the most deceived creature in the entire universe. He believed that he could be like God. And we've got all these little gods running around today that believe we can be like God. Show me an atheist and someone that just says, no, there is no God because I'm God. It's me. I'm God. It's, it's how pathetic. How pathetic, right? But to think of the fact of how much the power that pride has over individuals. It's amazing. Ruining lives. But that power is broken. I don't have to do that anymore. And I say that out loud. And if you have to say that out loud to give yourself more power because of the power that resides within you, it's not you. Because if you're going to try to take sin on by yourself, not a chance. 
Saul would not have had a chance if he would have tried this by himself. Not a chance. But when he trusted Christ, everything changed and the new power came from within because as he was yielding, he said, what do you want me to do? Said, Isn't that a great question? That's a great question. Lord, what do you want me to do? Do you get up in the morning and say, God, what do you want me to do today? Oh, by the way, just thought of this now. Um, the power of prayer. You remember, we talked about this just briefly last week. But here's Paul, Saul. He gets knocked to his knees and lower. Bright light. He's blind. He goes to a house. They lead him to a house in downtown Damascus. Street, straight, straight street. Isn't that cool? <laughs> Must, everything else is crooked, but that street. <laughs> and they say, actually, that, that city was laid out, and there was one street that was straight. It was three miles long. So I'm assuming that just somewhere near was that house. He goes to the house of Judas, and he's there for three days. He doesn't eat, he doesn't drink, and he's blind. Well, wear that for just a second. How are you doing? What are you going to do? I think my whiner would be turned on. I hate this ride. God, what are you doing? Right? What is he doing? He's praying. He's praying. That's a natural outward work, fruit, of someone that has trusted Christ as Savior. Is he, wants to, he or she wants to continue to just talk to God all day long. I find myself doing that all day. And I was going to ask you guys. Remember I asked you to pray for me? I had a situation that had come up. And, and there's something about not rushing something. I'm not good at that. I'm the guy that I don't have a lot of patience. It's not in my DNA. Did anyone knows me? Especially my family. I'm not really very patient. And there was numerous times I was going to go engage with the conversation with this individual that I knew you guys were praying about, right? And it just didn't work out. Have you had that? And then what do you want to do? You kind of, sometimes, I'm just going to do this. It needs to get done, right? But I didn't. I did not do that. And it was the day that it seemed like it was the day it was going to happen. It was last Monday. And it didn't work again. Hmm. So, and I'm changing. This is cool because if I would have looked in the mirror 5, 10, 15 years ago, guess what? My patience level was worse than it is today. <laughs> and you're laughing because yours was too. And the trying of your faith worketh patience, right? That's what it says in James. It's good for us. Okay, but on this Tuesday, I was going to call this guy and say, I'm coming up. I've got to get a piece of equipment and we need to talk. I was going to have a, you know, just... Are you going to be around? Because that's what had happened. We just never really quite meet up. And I'm praying, God, you tell me, you get my heart right, you get his heart right. We've got to get this thing figured out, right? So are you ready for this? I can't tell with all the, I don't need to share with all the details. But just to know this thing is set up right. And I had said, I should call him. On my, I'm on my way. It's a 70-mile trip to get there, right? And phone keeps ringing. You that know me. Headset, phone calls coming and going, right, all the time. And I, I had, I'm getting close. I never called him. Ring, it's him. He says, Larry, we need to talk today. I said, I'm three miles away. Now, if you don't think God's in charge of that one, he had not spoken to me before. You know what it told me? This is the right time. God made this the right time. Now, God, prepare my heart. Let this unfold and unleash just the way you want it to be. Without sharing details, the conversation um, at the end of it, it was just full of grace, full of grace. God answered that prayer, right? But it was really, really important that I allowed it to be at the right time. Now I can turn back and I can say, and I can look in the mirror and I can say, that's not the Larry of old. God's been chipping away at me. He's been 
and I, and I want to be, do you see, I'm hoping you're getting this. I want to be more moldable than a sculpture object. I don't want those things that are so hard and, boy, I got to get a different chisel. This, this, dude, this, is, this is hard stuff, right? And he comes over and he keeps working. And that's okay if that's what he's got to do. And he'll do it through the word of God. It's amazing how I'll just take a verse. That's sometimes I'll just pop in my office and I say, God, I want just one verse for me to just work on today. It's amazing how one, and I'll just be full, and there it is, boom, just captures me. And I just meditate on that one. You know what God's doing? The Holy Spirit is literally forming me into a little bit more like Jesus Christ. Because at the end of every day, I would like to be able to say, as people are engaging with me, that they would see some more of Jesus in me. Not me. They don't need to see me. Are they seeing Jesus in me? And if they are, then that means God's getting his work done. And the power of sin has been broken. Don't ever forget, yes, you want to be away from the penalty of sin. In other words, you don't want to get your check at the end of your life paid in full with sin as your wage. No, no. Jesus took that check. He wore it. He bled for it so that he could give to you that one as the creator. God says, on who did you depend? Uh, Jesus. He paid my debt. And he sees it, it's paid in full. But the other thing that you want to do is spend your time here on earth with the power that's within you, the Holy Spirit that indwells you. As you yield to him, the power of sin is broken as well. No longer are you bound or having to sin. The choice now is yours and you have the freedom not to sin. Sometimes we see freedom or liberty as not being able, are not having to do something. I'm free. I can do what I want to do. No, 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 no. No, no, it's bigger than that. Now you can do what's right. You can do what's righteous. You can do it God's way. And the only way to do that is through, excuse me, through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said this, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Now, that's pretty exclusive. There's a lot of people that call it very biased. They're very upset by that. You know, how can you say that? Well, if you're God and you're sovereign, you can do it that way. You either accept it or you reject it. Now, that's the other cool thing. I mean, that's what I have to really appreciate about God. Uh, There's no way for me to describe his powerfulness. I I can't tell you. But just, just looking, Saul was a pretty big guy. He thought he was really something. And literally in a split second, he's on his knees and he's, 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 he's whipped. He's done. And there's some people I'd like to have God do that with. <laughs> right? And in his own way, his own time, God will allow the opportunity for them to have. Maybe it's in the quietness of a night. Maybe it's just like this. Maybe it's on the road to Damascus. Somebody's going to meet Jesus today. I mean, meet Jesus. It can sure happen. But I have to say this. The love of God expressed in a way that he does not force anyone to love him because it wouldn't be love. You know, you'd think Adam and Eve, you'd, oh, you two losers, let's just squash you out. <laughs> I'm going to make you love me. I'm going to make you love me. What, have you ever tried this as a parent? You need to love me. No, it doesn't work, does it? It's insanity. It would be just like God saying, you need to love me. And, you know, there's some people that actually kind of love that way. Let me, let me explain. In other words, they're living life and they're doing good things so that God gives them stuff. We've got this deal going on, right? If, I, if I'm really good, God will give me good stuff. No. A thousand times no. 
God loves you. And it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, that before the world was made, got that? That's before any of this was. It's before any of it was even seen. It was, it was just void. Before any of that, it says that he, God, chose us, that's all of us, in him, in Christ Jesus. That's the way of salvation. Before there was any sin, before there was any world, before there was Mount Baldy, before there was Ennis, before there was, before there was anything, he had decided that Jesus Christ is going to be the way for men to be saved. I don't know how you're going to cut that apart and slice it, but I will tell you this. If that, my friends, is love because it costs God everything. Jesus Christ. He, called, he was called the Son of God. In fact, Saul spent the rest of his life really preaching Jesus to the rest of the world, proving that he was the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. When we see the Son of God, sometimes when we see that, it's almost like he's less than God. Oh, no, 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 no. The Son of God. The only reason he's called Son is the fact that as that a birth announcement was made to Mary back in Luke chapter 1, uh, you see, Jesus Christ, the second part of the Trinity, was the only one of the Trinity that became a son. Has nothing to do with preeminence, has nothing to do with anything, excepting that that's a characteristic of what happened. As that angel announced the birth, he said, and you shall call him the son of God. Jesus Christ is every bit God. He's no less, he's no more. He is everything that God is and nothing less. And that's who you need. That's who had to die to make this work. That's who Saul had to trust to be able to get out of the mire and the, the ridiculous thing that he's trapped in. Was Saul changed? Oh, you better believe it. Now, I'm the guy, and we talked about, there's another individual we talked about last week. His name was Ananias. It could have well, just as well been Jeff. Because in the same town in Damascus, sorry, I'm picking on you now, but that's okay. But it could be any Jeff. It doesn't have to be you, the Jeff. But at any rate, if you're downtown Damascus, we know Saul is there. He's in a house. He's in the house of Judas. We know nothing about that house. We know nothing more about that man, but he was led there, and he's there for three days. He's not eating. He's not drinking. He's not sleeping. Obviously, he's praying. I'm telling you, he's having a moment. And somewhere else in the city, there's a Jeff. Because I don't want to say Ananias, because how many of you know an Ananias? How many of you going to go home and call an Ananias today? I don't know an Ananias, nor do you. But you'd probably know a Jeff, or a Bill, or a Bob, or a Paul, or a Michael. Now, I'm pretty sure on Saul's list of guys and girls to get in Damascus, I'm pretty sure that Jeff's name was on there. You need to get him. Same city, same God, same time. God speaks to Jeff. Hey, Jeff. Yo, right here. Because that's nah, really cool. I love that part. It says God spoke to Ananias and he heard him. Are you, are you, you have your ears on for God? Or is it so full of music, so full of, of society, so full of noise, so full of stuff that you couldn't hear God if God shouted at you? And sometimes maybe we have to have those meeting with Jesus moments where it's like, Paul, right? God's right in your face. Have you had those? You bet you have. It's easier if you're listening for God. At any rate, Jeff. Yeah. There's a guy in town just down the street. 
and he's having a vision about you. And his name is Saul. <laughs> Instantaneously, there's this, have you had that knot in your stomach? Like, oh no. Well, Jeff got that. That's the guy from Jerusalem that we've heard is coming to Damascus, literally to destroy us. And God says, I want you, Jeff, to go down to that street in that house and I want you to help him see because he's met Jesus and I want you to help him. Ah, uh, I've heard about him, Saul that is, because he's, he's out to take us out. He's evil. He's mean. He's tough. It's okay. I said it's okay. And then I love it. He went. He went. And he goes and he meets Paul, Saul. And he puts his hands on him. And it was at scales is what the word says. And he couldn't see. And he's filled with the Holy Ghost. Not that he didn't have the Holy Spirit, but he was filled. Now, that's a different, ta that's a different term. That's really what our conversation we're having today. If you've trusted Christ as Savior, you have the Holy Spirit. He indwells you. It's not a matter of getting him. The point is, how much of you are you going to give to him? Here's another thing. Have you ever seen anybody where in the scriptures it says, and he or she was filled with the Holy Ghost and they did nothing? I was filled with the Holy Ghost and I just sat down. <laughs> no! No, right? Every time you see a filling of the Holy Ghost, you go. There's action. There's speaking. There's preaching. There's giving it all, right? You just keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a whole lot less of us than when it's in that case. And here goes Paul, Saul. What did he do? In fact, take your Bibles. This is probably is, uh, let's see, let's go to Acts chapter, chapter 9. Read <laughs> verse 19. When he had received meat, and he was strengthened. He's eating three days. I'd, I'd go for that. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which are at Damascus, just visiting amongst the, the, the crew, those that were Christians. And then it says in the King James, and straightway he preached. That's called immediately. Immediately he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Now that must have been taken by, now he would have been that you would have had a photo idea of this guy. He'd been showing up in the Jerusalem Times. And forgive me for, I'm making it more, more modern day, but so they probably didn't have a newspaper or whatever, but they knew what he looked like. They knew who Saul looked like. And all of a sudden he shows up in the synagogues, and I'll tell you what, if you were Jeff, you were climbing under the chairs and trying to hide from this guy, because he's on fire to take you out. And he gets at the, he says, may I speak? And people are just, oh boy. And here's Saul, he jumps up to the front. He says, you won't believe it, but I met Jesus. And he is the Christ. He is the son of the living God. You need to trust him today. <laughs> right? It's totally different. It's a, new, it's a new message. It's a new life. It's a new master. It's a new everything. He's changed immediately. When you're filled with the Holy Ghost, when you are yielding to the spirit, you know what? action takes place. Now you say, wait a minute, you know, how do I, you know, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a, you don't have to be. You, yourself, your actions speak louder than your words. Whatever career field God has placed you in and wherever that's at his passion. I had a, a conversation with a young man uh, not that long ago and he was struggling with fitting family time in and fitting up, 
you know, and there are other aspects of, of the family business. And how, how do I just, I feel frustrated. I said, well, one of the things that God has made you the way you are, your DNA is making you who you are. And you know what? He wants you to be passionate about what you do. If you're here and you're hearing my voice and you're doing something that you don't like to do, stop that now. That's not what God, God doesn't want you to do something you don't like to do. He's placed within you passion. That's how he's changing the world, is the passion in whatever career field that is. One of the worst things, the worst thing that counselors can do to high school students is in juniors and seniors, and they're, they're telling them, and usually, I mean, it was even for me, they told me about the jobs that paid the best. Oh, give me a break. Who cares? God wants you where you have passion. That's something that he built you individually, DNA, that makes you you. And when you're having passion about what your job is, guess what? You can be passionate about sharing your word about Jesus Christ. It's your life, your integrity, your character. Do you, say, do, you do what you say you're going to do? That's preaching with your works, with who you are. That's living a life. Uh, see, I actually, uh, when Lisa and I first got married, that's a long time ago. And I was just living on the ranch, you know, and a single guy, you know, you know, and mom's table was, it worked. You don't understand what I'm saying, you know. Didn't cost me a lot to live at home. So Lisa and I get married. Amazing. There were a few more bills. There was a few more things, right? And it was a time and frame, literally in the early 80s, where interest rates were, you think interest rates are high now. Uh, it took my dad out financially. He was broke through that course of time in the early 80s. Interest rates went as high as 21%. It's not a matter of when, it's just, or it's a matter of if, it's when. And so God gives me this job. I was, I, I hesitate to say because I'm not a carpenter. I beat nails. That's what I did. <laughs> I beat nails. I'm a nail beater. And I had a great boss, and it was, I, was, I was local. And I'm not going to say I didn't bring my game to the job, but it wasn't, I wasn't in it. And you know, if you've been in a job that you haven't really liked, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But it paid the bills. And I was probably more, I should got paid more than a nail beater should have been paid. I wasn't, you know, it's just, it's not my deal, right? So then at night, I'd go home and ranch all night, because that's what I love. That's, that's my deal, right? And I, you know what's happening to me? I began to look for a Friday and didn't like a Monday. That's not God's way. It's not God's way. He wants you to be passionate. He wants your passion in your work. He wants you to love what you do. Now, the other part of that is, is when you're doing what you love, then the Jesus that loved you enough that you are saved shows even brighter when you're in a place that you are supposed to be. And it has nothing to do with wages. Thank goodness that there was, two, there was a couple of different career fields I was looking into as a junior and senior in high school. I'll leave them unnamed because for someone it would be great. But for me, the one thing that it spelled out was in a field that I felt I could, I could excel in, it was where I would have to live to be successful. And that would have been, honestly, you cut away, you know, you would, I would be living in a large city. I'm sorry, that is not how God made me. I'm not that guy. 
I don't want to live in Houston or Los Angeles or New York. I, I just don't want to know. Now, if God wants me there, if he wants me to go there, then he's going to have to change some of who I am. And he can do that. There are missionaries that would have never, ever wanted to be a missionary. And you know what? Through the course of transformation, God prepared them for exactly the task he has. If you were going to ask Saul two weeks before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus and said, boy, I'll bet you want to be a missionary for Jesus Christ. You'd have got punched in the nose, right? So I'm willing to be free to yield to God everything that I am. But he wants you to be in a place that you can be effective because of passion and because you are saved and yielding to the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what happened to Paul. That's exactly what happened to Paul. He became everything God wanted him to be one step at a time. Are you available? God's reaching out. Jesus Christ died for you. Maybe that's where you have to start today. You just need to bow your knee in humbleness of your heart and say, Lord Jesus, I can't save myself. You have to save me. And things happen, as we've described today. That Holy Spirit, the new power that Saul found, is the same power that you will have access to. What do you want me to do, Father? What do you want me to do? God answered that question, didn't he? In fact, we could throw up a map of, in fact, learn me, throw up the second, the second missionary journey of Paul. Um, he, and he moved him around. We don't have time to get into it today, but um, you, you did, those arrows all dictate the sense of missionary journeys of where Paul went. He was born in Tarsus. He's in Damascus. And literally, let's take a look at your Bible. Between verse 22, let's, let's just, I don't know if we read this or not. Paul increased the more in strength and confounded, he's being transformed, and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is the very Christ. Talk about a change. And then it says in verse 23, and after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. Wait, what? This is the guy that was killing Christians. Now the people that wanted him to kill Christians, they want to kill Paul. Ah, but you're saying after many days. What's that got to do with anything? What do you mean after many days? What's he doing? What's going on here? Let's go to Galatians chapter 1, and we're going to close up here. Galatians chapter 1, Galatians 1, and let's take a look. He describes it as he's writing this letter to the Galatians. <clears throat> Verse 17, Galatians chapter 1, let's see. I'm going to start in Verse 14. Verse, verse 14, chapter 1 of Galatians, And profited the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation, being more exceeding zealous of the traditions of my fathers. Make, make, did you see that? He was zealous in traditions. Not zealous in truth. Traditions. Now, traditions can be truth. They can be untruth. If you're, if you're in a religion that literally does not match the Word of God, get rid of that religion. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm serious. I don't care if your father, your great-grandfather, your great-great-grandfather felt it, that... No, if it's not in the Word of God, stop it now. Okay, did I say that loud enough? Verse 15, but when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, oh, fantastic, to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years... I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. Between verses 22 and 23 is three years. He was literally, he went to Arabia for three years, studying, witnessing, being involved with those of which God had allowed him to be a servant of, for, those, for those, that time frame. 
Let's go with one more thing, and then we'll, next, and then we'll carry on to next week. Verse uh, 24, let's just read it. But their laying await was known of Saul. In other words, he's, he's literally, after three years, the Jews are trying to kill him, and he knew about it. They watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down in the wall in a basket. If you can think about it, on any of these walls, these city walls, there would have been windows. And they literally let him down on the outside of the wall rather than going through the gate because they would have been monitored. There would have been those that were there ready to take his life. He literally was dropped out the side of the wall and left. Now, when Saul was come to Jerusalem, we just read about that, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, and they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. Now, mark that for a moment. Three years have taken place, and they've heard about this Saul guy, but they don't believe him. Ah, that's not true. He's just undercover to try to take us out. So he ends up back in Jerusalem. This is three years later now. And he's trying to meet with the disciples, meeting with the Christians in Jerusalem, and they want nothing to do with him. Would that be frustrating for Paul? Is there someone that doesn't believe that you could become a Christian? You know what it takes? It takes a Barnabas. Let's keep reading. This is a great verse. I want you to think about being that person today. Verse 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way, and he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out of Jerusalem. Whew. You know what? I like to be around Barnabas's. His very name means it's son of encouragement. You know, that's how I get through life. Just those encouraging words. When things are tough, when you feel down, just that phone call, maybe that note, maybe that whatever it is. Sometimes it's just a, a facial expression of acceptance. This guy, he's okay. He's okay. It's amazing for me, the young men that, and I don't have a lot of young men that I'm mentoring, but I've got a few. I've got those, those young men that are, they, they, want, they want some sense of guidance. Give, Larry, give me wisdom. And you know what? Just sometimes it's just listening to them. Telling them what God wants. Telling them what they have. You are no longer a slave to sin if you're in Christ Jesus. You need to hear that. They need to hear that. The world needs to hear that. You know what? There's a spring in their step. I want to be that person that when they're done talking to me, whoever it is, they can say, that was good. I had a great, this, this was a little gift to me. And, and it, was, it was just one of those things that probably wasn't supposed to be, but it was that way. So I'm on the phone with a guy from, from uh, I, I can't, I really can't. I'm, I got to keep it because, you know what I mean? I can't say. But I'm on the phone, okay? Then now you can believe that, right? I'm on the phone, right? This 100 phone call a day deal, right? So I'm on the phone and I'm talking about something. I, I, I was in a job and I said, you know what? Let's do this because I think it would really help you and we're going to do this. And so I said, I'm going to make a phone call. Well, I call that guy and let's set up this, this seed thing, right? And, and then uh, one phone call leads to another. And finally, I said, you know what? I'm going to do the same thing in my home thing. And uh, so I said, you got it? Got it. Okay. Well, you know how it is? Sometimes you don't hang up and you hear stuff. Okay. Not that you plan it that way. And my head say, oftentimes it's just that way. I just keep moving. I'm just, well, this guy doesn't hang up. And he must have had somebody in the, where he was at. He said, that was Larry Melhoff. That guy is awesome. I love that guy. See, that was a gift to me. That was a gift to me. And then he hung up. But I, I want that to be said because I am encouraging. I am uplifting. I see, they see a little bit more of Jesus in me. That's what I want people to see in me. Not me. I want them to see Jesus. And you know what Jesus wants? He wants you to be that way. 
You want to be an encouragement? Just yield to the Spirit. Obey Him. Not only is the penalty gone, but so is the power. And if you got to recite out loud as you find yourself drifting into sin's avenue, saying, I am no longer a slave to sin, it will empower you because that's the position that you have in the Holy Spirit. Okay, this, was, this really wasn't what we had in our notes today. Did God use it? He did for somebody. Questions or comments? Do you see how society is trying to drag us down? Every level. Every level. They're pulling us down. Wanting us to think less of who we are. The animosity. The bitterness. The strife. It's everywhere, isn't it? It's just beating us up. Sometimes I find myself, oh, if I could just get away. You know, we can get away from it. Because we have it living within us. And again now, Paul's or Saul's hatred, his anger, his bitterness, were replaced by the fruit of the Spirit. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And he'll do the same for you. There's, there's stuff you need to be replaced, and there's stuff he's going to refine to make you look a lot more like Jesus. That's what, as Paul was looking in the mirror, you know what I'm hoping he sees? That he looks just a little bit more like Jesus. Because that's what God wants. And I want to do what God wants. We're living in a really messed up world right now. And I'm really praying for our young kiddos, those grandchildren, those youngsters. The future looks bleak. But if you're in Christ Jesus, he wins. And if you're on the winning side, you win. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for the power that is ours in you. For the Holy Spirit that resides within us, Father, may you give us the courage, the strength, the wisdom whatever it takes of us to yield more to you. Because, Father, I want to be filled with the Holy Ghost. When I'm filled, Father, others see you. There's strength. There is power. Over adversity, over all of the things that come across our life. Satan is busy about destructing families. He's busy about destructing the church. He's busy about destroying individual lives. And Father, it's not about rebuilding a government. It's not about rebuilding nations and the power structure, Father. You've always done it one person at a time. Father, maybe somebody today, just right now in these quiet moments, that really has never truly resigned themselves to giving their lives, their hearts, their souls, their minds, completely to Jesus Christ. But right now there's an opportunity for that to take place. With no one watching, no one interfering, this is a God moment. It's a Damascus Road moment. It's a meeting Jesus. But right now that decision can be made to, I, Father, I can't do it myself. I am a sinner. I have sinned. There's nothing I can do about it. I need Jesus Christ as my Savior. I need Him now. And with sincerity in your heart, having said that, 
Literally, that transformation positionally has just taken place. He will begin to mold you. He will begin to shape you. The power of the Holy Spirit, which will reside, does reside within you, Father. Within them, Father, will begin to take shape and root. The power will be inexplicable. May you give them peace and understanding. May they search the scriptures. May they begin praying that just talking with you moment by moment, I need thee every hour. One of my favorite terms. Father, I need you every hour. Father, turn the lights on. Let us see you more clearly than ever. We rest in you. We trust in you. We thank you that you are God. Take us and use us through this week. Father, these, this group of people that's gathered today in this place at this hour will find themselves many, many miles away from one another on steps of a journey that you have destined for them. May our lives be what you want them to be. May they speak of Jesus. We'll need your power to do it. Help us with our problems, our decisions. We rest them at your feet. Help us. May you be glorified and we be blessed. In Christ's precious and holy name, amen.